Welcome to Hello Universe, a podcast about spirituality in our everyday lives. We're your co-hosts, Kylie and Eva. Hi friends, it's Eva here. I am recording a solo intro before we dive into this week's episode. Um, This week's episode is actually a replay and we chose this episode particularly because it is one of our favorite episodes. Um, (laughs) Honestly, sometimes when people are like, you know, I want to listen to the show, where should I start? You know, what episode do you think would be a good one that represents what this show is about? And I'm like, this is definitely probably like the the main go-to, there's a, there's a couple go-to ones, but this is definitely one of them. It's just such a beautiful, soulful conversation, which has everything to do with our amazing guest, Dr. Rocio, who you may know from her Instagram account, Dr. Dr. Rosales Mesas, which she does a ton of really just, I just love everything that she shares about the intersection of her work of decolonial activism and spirituality. And it's like, you can read these show notes and kind of maybe get a sense of like the general topics that we talk about, but the show notes, show notes will never really fully encompass the feeling (laughs) that you're going to leave these episodes with, because I feel like this is one of those conversations you walk away feeling calmer, wiser, more nourished. Um, She just has truly, I mean, as a medicine woman, she just has like (laughs) a truly, um, potent healing energy about her and also just her personal story is really interesting and her perspective on everything that she has to share. Um, I just could not get enough. So we hope you enjoy as we take a break for Labor Day in preparation of Labor Day. Um, and before we get into the actual episode, there are a couple of things that we want to share. Uh, Kylie has actually updated, made some cool updates in her um, self-study course, Learn to Read the Akashic Records. So if you know Kylie, you know that her work in the records has been deeply transformational and profound for her. Um, and she created this course as an introduction to help people get started with the records. And it's, I, it's a course that I took um, and it was a lot of fun and it's really kind of opened up my world to what's possible. So, you know, if you're like, what are the records? Maybe you hear Kylie talk about them all the time and it just sounds like this nebulous, mysterious thing. Well, you can find out for yourself um, in her self-study, Learn to Read the Akashic Records course. And she recently um, added an extended unit on healing in the records, which sounds really cool. And in celebration of updating this course, she's offering it at a promo rate. So if you're interested, you should check out her website, kyliecaldwell.com. All the information will be there. You will be in really good hands. <laughs> As for me, Eva, what I'm really excited to share with you this week is my program, Quietude. Uh, if you're not familiar, Quietude is my 30-day meditation program, um, which I recently had a couple of clients stream in sort of unexpectedly, and we've been starting, and I forget just how much fun this program really is. Um, I mean, I think we all know by now that meditation is a wonderful gateway and portal 
to more self-awareness, to more clarity, to trusting your intuition more, to, I, I don't want to overgeneralize and say it's like the answer to all of your problems, because yes, that's a big sweeping statement, but I do believe that there's some element of truth there, that learning how to be still with the self, to know thyself, to see the mind and watch your thoughts and <laughs> know what is actually the truth of this reality, of your reality, to not over-identify, to learn how to detach. I mean, these are all pathways to um, awakening and pathways to releasing suffering and coming into more of your power and more of your sovereignty and more of your intuition. It is, it's, I mean, meditation, I could go on and on because it's been such a transformational practice in my own life, but you know, this is a tradition that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. The great mystics of our time have always talked about how learning to be still and silent with yourself is really, truly the biggest medicine. <laughs> and um, if you are a spiritual seeker, knowing yourself and being able to connect with yourself in this way and to know yourself as the awareness beyond your thoughts, like you are not your thoughts, but the awareness beyond your thoughts to begin to know that, that is the pathway to a more wise, spiritual, mystical, but also like inner peace filled life. So, you know, this is something that I want for all people. I think, again, this is big, big medicine, um, particularly for people who have overactive minds, who want help slowing down, but really actually the people who've been coming in mo most recently have been the deep thinkers and um, the, the seekers who, who are really interested in learning more about spirituality through self exploration, because that is actually where, what our greatest curriculum is learning about the self. <laughs> and there's so much more I could say about this, but if this sounds like something that you're interested in, if you want to deepen your, your spiritual practice, deepen your meditation practice, um, and you want a guide to help you, uh, reflect back to you what's happening. So it doesn't feel so isolating and so alone, because I think meditation sometimes can, and it gets to be really fun. Like every time someone signs up for this program, the first thing that they say like day one or day two, they're like, Oh my God, like this feels amazing that I get to talk about this very personal experience that I've been having with someone else. Like there's something incredibly affirming about that. And also just the community in that is really, um, nurturing. So this program, if you're interested in how it's run, it's different from my one-on-one -on -one program. It's may run mainly through Voxer and uh, it's a, that's like a walkie talkie app. And if you might, if you feel skeptical about that, um, don't, <laughs> because I can tell you it's such an intimate container. It's so for some people, they prefer to work with me this way because, um, because of the intimacy, because of the flexibility. Um, and yet they are always amazed at how much they get out of our time together in this way. So it's something that I'm really excited about. And I haven't really talked about it um, much because I've been promoting other things and I'm coming back to this program and just re-remembering how deeply meaningful it is um, for everyone that comes into this container. So if you are one of those deep, deep thinkers, um, spiritual seekers, which if you are listening to the show, that's probably you, uh, 
come check me out at my website at evaliao.com and the name of the program is quietude. All right. Um, I feel like I feel like I want to let you guys go, but I can't because I also want to ask you guys to like and subscribe and rate the show if that feels um, if that feels good for you because it really does help the show. And I know that before I started a podcast, I would hear people say that all the time. And to be honest, I just was like, oh, this is just like another thing that people say and I would ignore it. Um, but now I know as a podcast, someone who runs a podcast that it actually really does help grow the show and spread the word. Um, so if you like this show, um, share it with a friend and like, and subscribe. We really, really appreciate it. All right. Without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Bye. Hello, Dr. Rocio. Thank you for joining us on Hello Universe. We're so excited to have you here. As you know, the first question on this show is, what does spirituality mean to you and how does it show up in your everyday life? Spirituality is everything, really. I think that part of colonization is that it's made us feel like it's separate, like we're separate from spirituality and that we are actually that it's something that we need to even integrate into our life. And yes, given we do need to do that, but because we have been colonized, but for me, I really believe spirituality is who we are at the core. We are spirit beings. Everything in nature has a spirit. Uh, all of creation has a spirit. Mother earth is a spirit. So for me, it's really what connects us, right? It's being interconnected to the web of life mm -hmm. and really feeling that sacredness in yourself and in other beings. Mm, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I, I think this is something that I really appreciate about the work that you do that I think is so needed is that you, your work is at this intersection of like decoloniality, helping people decolonize their minds and spirituality and wellness. And I think that's why I gravitated to your work so much because I knew that when I saw it, it was like a medicine that I didn't know that I needed. And mm -hmm. it felt so nourishing. And I'm wondering if you can talk about this intersection because, and how you, how it came to be, how you came to um, do the work in this very, I think, sacred space. Thank you for that. It's actually just what you said is one of the most common reactions to my work is like, I didn't know this affected me, right? I didn't know I need, this was a language that I needed to describe my experience. Um, and well, there's so many things that brought me to this um, my lived experience. I used to be a professor before doing this work. Um, I have a PhD in counseling psychology, though I'm not a licensed psychologist. And that was a conscious choice that I made because I don't align with the colonial field. I don't align with diagnosing people and labeling them when really the root cause, I believe, is based in oppressive systems, right? It's, it's really... Um, it's the systems that make us unwell. Um, so I was in, in academia for 10 years, earning a PhD, 10 years as a professor. I earned tenure. I became sick because it's a colonial toxic environment. Uh, when I had a health collapse, I had to take medical leave. And on that medical leave, I lost my position. I was fired. 
And for me, yeah. And for those that don't know, a tenure means like you jump through all the hoops and you did everything they told you and you get a secure job for life. And that turned out to be a lie. And that really began my decolonial consciousness. I, I used to do, I was immersed in anti-oppressive work. And I've been doing that ever since I was a college student. And I taught classes on that. But then to have that experience where you are doing all the things to be quote unquote successful and to earn security and to realize it was all a lie, right? Like yeah. that really um, just broke through the illusion. I call it the colonial lie, right? And um, that really changed my, the way that I saw the world, that, that it isn't, uh, what we are taught isn't completely true, right? And so that began my decolonial awakening, uh, knowing that the solutions are actually not in the systems, the solutions are outside of the systems. The solutions are beyond what we see is possible, beyond reality, the current reality that we're living in. And that when we are in the system, and I'm specifically speaking, for example, to academia, for other people, it may be corporate, you know, America, that we're really on their agenda, we're on their time, and it can become a prison for us. And so for me, that's what academia was. It was a spiritual prison where I felt like I had to hide my gifts, where I couldn't be out <laughs> sort of with spirituality, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so that <laughs> losing my position was a huge, it was an ego death. It was a dark night of the soul. I grieved and cried and cried because it was something that I had worked so hard for. But what I, it, I believe that it was necessary for me to see beyond all of that. Um, through that experience, I also realized like what was missing in anti-oppressive work and decolonial work was the spiritual piece. Mm -hmm. And that, that that's also what led to my health collapse of feeling like I couldn't be connected to that sacred part of me and, and to the sacred part of, of life. Mm -hmm. I resonate with so much of what you're saying. And I'm thinking of a million people <laughs> because I also was in academia myself, although for a shorter period of time, I, I was always going to be a professor and made it as far as the master's degree before um, you know, exiting the system. And it, it, I always have so much grief for all these brilliant people who are just churned up and spit out in the system that like so many other systems, to your point, I mean, you see it in acting, you see it in creative careers, you see it in corporate America, where there's this way in which you're taught to be so grateful for the breadcrumbs that get thrown at you, that you completely relinquish your voice of what you actually are deserving of. And, uh, and I see people like having to recover from academia all over yes. the place. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, um, so what, were you always someone who was, who felt deeply spiritual, but kind of took that hat off when you went into academia or was it something that came rushing through in this kind of dark night of the soul? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I've always been, and I'm saying, I think, <laughs> but I know that I've always been spiritual. So I'm a seer, a psychic, I'm clairsentient, claircognizant, clairvoyant, like it's just in my lineage and it's how I was born. 
but because of colonization, I felt like I had to hide that. Like the generation before me, because of immigration, a lot was lost or let me not say lost, hidden. Mm. And I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Mexican Catholic church. And for my family, spirituality was through that. Mm-hmm. And that was its own experience to sort of leave the church to pay for more of my spiritual gifts because sometimes they are uh, looked down upon, right? Like that in the church, you're taught to to relinquish your your intuition and in service of like the higher power that they tell you it is, right? Like it's something outside of yourself. And so for all those reasons, I've, I've, I did feel like I, ha- even though I knew, right. And I've always had like, quote unquote, supernatural experiences and things I couldn't explain, um, things that I saw that, that weren't in this physical realm, but were in the unseen realm that has always been a part of me but I didn't have sort of a model for that. And so I felt like they were parts of me that I had to hide. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think this is why, at least again, I'll speak for myself, why your voice rings so clearly, I think, to people who are familiar with your work is because you give a voice to people who previously didn't have language or didn't feel safe being spiritual because, you know, maybe we're so embedded in like the social justice world and it's missing this soulful, like of the earth, like language that I think is, needs to be a part of it. And you, I think I see it just in your work, you embody it. Like you talk very openly about your process. And so I can only imagine that the process of, of, of coming back to yourself in this way was something that you had to like re-remember, relearn. And that's again, a reminder, I think for other people that like, it's that it's safe to go through this process and that when you forget, like you can remember again. Yes. Yes. And that's what, thank you for that. That's what I want people to understand because for a long time I thought, and I still remind myself, but for a long time I thought these parts of us were lost, right? To colonization. And what I've started to realize is that it's not that they were lost, it's that they're hidden. And that colonization is temporary. And we're actually seeing that now, especially, right? Like so many of these old oppressive systems, the old paradigm is literally dying before our eyes, right? And so we're seeing the new starting to come in. And so I want folks to know that colonization wasn't, was temporary. It's something that we don't have to continue to, to give our power over, right? To, um, and that these parts of you, your intuition or your ancestors, that you will remember if you make way for it. Like, even if you don't know, like the specific, you know, if you're still learning, if you are open to it, if you can call it in, and if you believe that you are worthy of it, which I think is also important for Black, Indigenous people of color in particular, then it, then that, that begins to or open the portal for it. And so rather than thinking that it's lost, it's just, it's hidden and it's something that I can reconnect to. Mm. So beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When, when I left academia, well, when I was let go, <laughs> that's the language <laughs> that I, I lost my position, but really I was fired and it was a back and forth a lot. And um, I finally just let go of that um, life. 
but it was when I was out of that environment that I began to hear my ancestors more. Mm. And as a little girl, I always used to, I was always a little girl. My family used to think it was so cute of like, I was so drawn to our, our indigenous ancestors and like, it was something I just couldn't explain. And it was something that was, especially for the generation before me, that was rare. Like, oh, look, she wants to learn about this. She she wants to connect to this. Um, and then along the way, as I got older, I sort of lost that and, and lost that through schooling. Um, but when I left academia, I, then they came back and they were louder and they are what led me to the work that I do today. They are also what led me to trusting my intuition and my voice. And I think, you know, for some reason, schooling has been coming through uh, a lot about like how much that does impact our colonization. Mm-hmm. It's insidious the way that it, um, the way that it suppresses our voice. Ooh, can Ooh. we talk, can we talk about this? Because, yes. <laughs> because also yeah. I think this is really in line actually with something Kylie said to me just a couple of weeks ago, where she was saying as a mother, she really wants to speak to people who, I don't know, maybe Kylie, can you, can you say it in your own words about with sure. experience with your children? Yeah. Just that I see how wildly intuitive my children, my children are, are two and four and they're wildly intuitive in very different ways. Like my grand, my, my daughter sees our ancestors. Like she has full on conversations with them. She's the two-year-old. Um, she saw, uh, she, I'm pretty sure she saw a gnome in our backyard recently. Like, <laughs> um, and my son is just has this deep knowing, like he's obsessed with crystals and he like doesn't sleep with all these crystals, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. And I've been trying to research how to foster this for them, right? Because for me, it's been an unlearning to come to the space of, of, of hearing something that was always there, et cetera, everything you're saying. And when I kind of ask people advice or when I kind of go trying to research, a lot of the advice is about not squashing it, right? It's like, oh, like support them, be curious, but not squashing it, I feel like is our new kind of bare minimum. That used to be the best we knew how to do, right? But I think that we're in this new space now where we have some tools and some energy to support, like really allowing our children to just grow up, never, ideally never actually being separated and having to yeah. refine their gifts. So if this is something you have thought about. <laughs> well, well, also because so much, yeah, so much of the squashing, like you're saying, happens in education as well. So yeah. Yeah. If, if your child is going to go through a, a regular sort of like, I don't know, public school, whatever, even like, I don't know, American schooling system, how do you as a parent counterbalance that? Yes. This, it's just, um, it's so, well, not interesting, right? Like all of this is, is alignment, but this has been coming up a lot more. And so um, that experience that I shared had a lot to do with my decolonial consciousness. And so did my child. They happen simultaneously because the reason why um, my body started to collapse is because I became pregnant and my body said, we can't do this anymore. Like we can only do so much. My child is four and a half. And when I became a mother, I real like so much. And so this is like matrescence, right? And this is what it's called. It's like how you shift as a mother and how the world and the way you see the world changes. And the things that I used to accept before, like immediately when I became a mother, just immediately shifted. 
like for example as a professor i would see i would teach the students you know anti-oppressive work all the all the lies that they learned in school about like our who our founding fathers is right for example <laughs> then i had to teach them in the classroom like actually the, those are not our founding fathers <laughs> this is you know this is one person's reality this is not all of our reality right this is history that is manipulated and we're leaving out huge chunks of what we've done right in in terms of colonization so when i became a mother i was like i don't want to do that to my child i don't want someone else i don't want my child to be like these students in the classroom that have to unlearn 20 plus years of indoctrination Yeah. So before I used to think, of course, having earned a PhD in valuing higher education, I used to think my my child is at least going to get a master's and all these things. And when I became a mother, I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. I can't send them there because they're just going to learn all these lies and they're going to learn to be complacent. They're going to learn to be obedient. And so for me, we we unschool my child. I've don't and haven't sent them to school. I'm not going to send them to school unless it's something that they choose, right? Because that's part of liberation parenting. It's like you have to give can, them advice. Can you actually explain unschooling and liberation parenting? Because I'm sure there's people listening that those are new terms to them. Yeah. So, and actually, sorry, while we're defining terms, I've had this ping a couple of times. Could you yeah. also define coloniality and decoloniality for listeners? Because I'm yeah. sure those are also some new terms. Yes, of course. So colonization is colonization happens at many levels. I think most folks understand that coloniz the historical colonization, right? That white European men created this system to overtake lands, to overtake peoples, right? And that was to benefit them economically. And so for me, I label that as the colonial capitalist patriarchy because those systems are interlocking, right? They, they come together to uh, create oppression. And so it's something that's happened at many levels, social, cultural, psychological, it's also colonization is also the ways that black indigenous people of color have been taught to be inferior, to believe that they're inferior, to believe that they're deserving of less, to believe that they are not good enough uh, for, for women of color and femmes of color in particular to be in servitude to others. And so many people can, I think, on one level understand like anti-racism and white privilege, but co colonialism, colonization is really sort of like, for me, the umbrella term for all of that, right? It's, it's the system we are under, right? And it's the past 500 um, years that we've been under, right? And so decolonization is an active resistance of that. As a Black Indigenous person of color, how can I resist this way that, I've, that I'm taught to shrink myself, that I'm taught to, to, um, to hide myself, to almost, especially for women and femmes of color, to act as almost like a maid or a servant to others, right? And it, it's just, it shows up in so many different ways. And so I can talk about examples, but I'm just sort of giving um, some definitions for folks. For, and then for white folks, really, it's the ways that 
it's just so hidden for white folks. It's this could be its own topic because I think even white folks that are aware of their white privilege still don't see are aware of the ways that they still engage as, and I don't say this in an offensive way, but just as a colonizer, like feeling like they're entitled to more things. Um, and so it's really for white folks, it's unlearning their white colonial mind, right? How I feel I have a right to this land. I'm entitled to this job. I'm entitled to receive um, certain type of treatment, better treatment, right? Like all these, all these ways. And decoloniality is really an exploration of all of that. How do I, how can I explore this in my life? How can I unlearn this in my life? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. Bringing it back down to, well, I want to say basics, but it's also not, not so basic. <laughs> mm -hmm. So then tying that back to, I mean, gosh, there's so many avenues we can go here. I want to make sure that we touch on the education piece, the, mm -hmm. um, the motherhood piece, but also maybe first, can we, can you share some of the examples of how you see this, uh, how colonialism affects us and maybe even, yeah, because I think sometimes it's the obvious ways and sometimes there's also some subtle, not so obvious ways. And then also um, what I'm thinking is like, what happens when we decolonize our minds and free ourselves? And it's like, what's available? What do we begin to notice and how do we begin to live when we are yes. free of this? Yeah, well, and so this brings me to your question um, about children, right? And how they sort of, Squash their intuition. And I think that's that's a function of colonization of that we we it really is how we view a voice outside of ourselves, authority, right? As authority as ha as having power, right? Like we we don't even we automatically give it away. We automatically give our power away we don't even realize it, right? Mm. And we are taught that in school, yes, but also through our parents, right? And so this is the other piece of colonization. There's colonial intergenerational trauma. There's patterns throughout each generation where we do learn that certain people are in authority and other people are there to be obedient. And we, we what I say, and I know that this sounds harsh for some people, but that the first colonizers are often our parents, you know, how, and really like we expect children to not have a voice. We almost see children as an inconvenience and we expect them just to do what we say. And yes, we've grown some in, in parenting, right? But, but we still like, if they, if we give them a little room and if they, you know, sort of are more resistant or like their voice becomes stronger, it becomes a nuisance to, to adults. <laughs> yes. And so that's the ways that intuition, right, begins to be to be blocked, to be squashed. You realize you're you're an inconvenience. You realize that you need to conform to be loved. You need to conform to be accepted. Right? Yeah. And so all of that is a function of colonization. Our parents learn that the years right and so pre-colonization this is not how especially black indigenous um 
folks of color how they raise their children, right? But we learned this from the colonizer to be in control. And often, especially for Black Indigenous folks of color, they did it to protect their children from the colonizer. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But, but these patterns get, get passed down of like, I have to conform to be accepted for my voice to be heard. Um, you know, I can only, it's only safe to express myself in certain ways, right? Mm-hmm. And so then we get to all the layers of like how folks express their gender or their sexuality and like all, all of these parts that are sacred to us, right? That are unique, that are part of our soul's path, right? And, and part of what we, what each of us came to earth for, right? Our, our unique gifts, it slowly gets eroded because we are expected to conform and we, we learn to give our power over. I mean, I'm just like nodding <laughs> vigorously because I, this speaks so deeply, I think probably to many people who are listening, but I don't think I, and I was going to say, I don't even think I really even understood my own power or that I could turn inwards for my own answers until I was probably in my late twenties. And even as I say that, I'm like, but is that even true? Even now in my, like at 37, I'm still constantly learning. Mm -hmm. And because it's unconscious, how often I will defer to what the expert or who, whoever, and that's so rampant in our culture, especially for three women who also, you know, run businesses on social media, we see there's so much information out there. So mm-hmm. it's like, sometimes yeah. we're just like swimming, swimming in it. And yeah, even I- my question, sorry, I, but even my <laughs> question, right. is like someone else tell me how to pair it. Right. <laughs> right? It's, yeah. um, I mean, that's a, somewhat of a caricature, but it, it is so, um, it's so prevalent and I really I really am grateful for the way you're bringing it back to the way it starts like um, like no what we, we we have these things that we know to be true and then we're shown if that knowledge is validated and respected and that that's intuition right there isn't really any separation from like knowing you're hungry versus full knowing that you need a hug and knowing that your ancestor is showing up to give you a message like it's the same it's just a spectrum of knowing you know, your own knowing of truth so I really love that you're grounding it there at that fundamental place yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so how do we find that balance then like where's the balance between for for us as people but and then there's this complicated I'm not a parent but mm-hmm. I know that when I go and visit my nephews who I adore when they are crazy, I just want to be like, stop being crazy. Mm-hmm. How, you know, it's like, how do you let people thrive um, in a way that supports them without totally without losing a model your, your of sacrifice, sh- like someone having to sacrifice, right? Because that's the other piece of it. Go ahead. Dr. Yeah, Chris, I mean, yeah. yeah, there's so, and I just love this conversation because there's so many layers, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, even I want to say that that question is rooted in fear. Mm. That question is rooted in fear. And that's what colonization teaches us, right? There's only so much available love, available time, right? And because we live in these systems still, especially in terms of how we devote our time, right? Like so much of our time is unbalanced to work. And so then, of course... 
your energy for children is is not as available as it could be, right? And and that's part of the function of the colonial capitalist patriarchy is so that you give all your energy to the work and you don't have any energy left to nurture your relationships, mm. right? To nurture community, right? And so even like the, you know, like unlearning when children are, you know, not, not crazy, but wild, right? Like when they're wild and they're happy and joyful, like that's, that's not something that we, yes, of course, like we need to help them like learn to um, regulate and we co-regulate with them, right? Like all those things. Yes. But to, to nurture their wildness, their joy, right? And often it's our discomfort, it's, it's that we didn't have that as, as children mm. that makes us feel like we have to shut that down, right? Because I know for me even, and this was parenting before, right? Like, and, and even I want to say like five years ago, it's like parenting was a lot, of, and particularly in Black Indigenous um, homes of color, it's like you just do what you're told as a child. And so if, if your parent says, you know, be quiet, you're quiet. And like at some point you learn to shut it down, right? And so it are, we're, we're uncomfortable with children's freedom. We're uncomfortable mm. with their liberation because that was shut down in us. Yeah, it's unfamiliar. Yeah. <sighs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, their unbridled joy is yes. almost a threat because it reminds us that yes. we've we've um, hidden our access to that. I really appreciate your distinction between lost and hidden, but we've hidden our access to that. Yes, yeah. and so we're unconsciously triggered, right? And also, we we don't have that uh, on a on a tangible level. We don't have that energy for the children because we're giving it away to the work mm-hmm. and all these other things, you know. And so for me, a huge part of my work is as a mother, you know, I, I, I can't be teaching these things to other people and not (laughs) do this in my own home with my own child, you know? And so for me, my child is definitely my priority, my wellness first, and then my child of like giving them the space to be right. And you don't even have to teach children these things. Like they just intuitively know it. And to your point earlier, Kylie, of like not to squash it. I think if we just, if we just practice with children, invite them into our spiritual practices, right? Like, because I know a lot of parents, mothers in particular, let sort of put their children off to the side. Like, this is my time, you know? And yes, Mm. we need our own time. Absolutely. (laughs) You know? And also when you are engaging in spiritual practices and particularly when you relearn your own indigenous practices, inviting your children along to do that with you, that like they are just so like, they remember more than we do, right. you know? Yeah. So it's just bringing them along. Yeah. I think the big piece that resonates with me is the topic of energy. Mm-hmm. This is a huge one. I think you nailed it on the head exactly, which is that I know that, I am, when I am rested, I am available for all of life. I'm available for people. Mm-hmm. When I'm not rested, when I am stressed out, when I'm prioritizing all these other things, that's the only reason I would ever feel um, 
yeah, I don't have the capacity to be yes. with like what is. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. this is such a hard, it's so, this is, I mean, colonialism is just, it's just all over this, which is like how we use our time, our relationship with work, how we use our energy. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I feel like that could be a whole episode in itself, but I was wondering if you could speak to, this is a nebulous broad question, but maybe just the topic of our relationship to work and rest and how to balance these things. <laughs> yeah. And, and so this, this is a, this, these are the tangible ways that we begin to divest from the colonial capitalist patriarchy, right? Like even just, you know, if folks think about like, what are your work goals? What are your financial goals, right? Like we're taught to set all these goals. Mm. And then within those goals, becoming more critical of those goals. Like, do I really, because those goals, right, that we're, we're taught to have the big house, have the car, be on all the social media platforms, have this many people on your mailing list, like, like all the things, right? And if you don't have all those things, it begins to make you feel like a failure, right? Even if you consciously think, I don't accept capitalism, I don't accept materialism, right? Unless you are consciously critical of those goals, right? And are very intentional about how you use your time, right? Then, then you, you are unconsciously colluding with that system. You are still draining your energy, even energetically, right? You're leaking your energy because you're still using those things as a standard, right? Mm. And especially for those that have, you know, a small business, like there's <laughs> social media is, is helpful and it can also be so toxic, right? Yeah especially for the ways you do business, like, oh my goodness, that, like that's its own, <laughs> that's its own um, episode, but it's just, it, it, it's really capitalism, right? And it only functions for, for really white folks with social class privilege, right? That are wealthy, that, that can make those decisions. And then everyone else is trying to operate in that way, but doesn't have the same access to or it doesn't even have the same act and, and because of the capital doesn't have the same access to people helping them. So here you have, you know, businesses that are run by one person and trying to do all of the things, right. Mm -hmm. And leaking our energy and feeling unsuccessful. Right. Mm -hmm. And everyone's trying to be a millionaire, right? Like if I don't have six figures, if I'm not a millionaire, I'm a failure. And what I believe is like, do we, do we even need that? We don't need that. We don't need that. And so to be critical of that, right, to question it, and to also know that that is not sustainable. Like, even if we just think about, in terms of the earth, for everyone to be a millionaire, right, and to own all the big houses, there's not enough land on the earth, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a piece of rugged individualism, how we're just taught to, like, all the things for me, right? And begin to, and this is what I learned from Toy Smith, uh, Toy Marie on Instagram. She does um, business in an anti-capitalist way, like doing business in a way that doesn't exploit you, but also doesn't exploit other people. And so really it's like, how much do you need? And maybe, yes, how much do you want? How much money do you need to be comfortable? But then that there's a point where we don't need much more, 
right? And that we can then, I think when we have that goal, when we shift it, then we can begin to reclaim our energy, you know? Because otherwise we're constantly on, as they say, the hamster wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or divesting our energy in the right, thing, truly the right things. But I think that does take examination. Even as I'm going through a quick sort of background check of my own things, it's like it's such a helpful reminder because I'm, whenever I do assess, I'm easily reminded of that, of how little I really need actually. Like I always need less, but the, it's so easy to have the messages come in that you need more. So even as I assess and I'm like, oh, I'm, this is actually like great and perfect. And I know that this is, I'm happy with not needing all of these things. And then the messages can come back in of being like also needing more. So I think it's a constant for me yes. hearing you talk, I'm like, oh, it's going to be a constant reassessing. Yes. Yeah. Protecting your energy, being discerning, right? With your energy. And, and this is the, the piece that like the indigenous piece and being in right relationship with mother earth, right? That we, we're, we're taught so much, especially here in the U S of like more things are better, more clothes, more shoes, like more, like we don't need all those things. Right. Mm. And eventually they get thrown away and they harm the earth. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we need to be in right relationship with each other from a decolonial perspective, but also to the land. You know, yeah. Yeah. and actually when we have less things, it creates more space for our spirituality, mm-hmm. yes. right? I think because too, letter blocks that, right? Yeah. And if I am personally, if I'm critical about like a, a desire, for example, like a revenue goal, I don't actually like the idea of goals um, for a lot of reasons, but you know, say you're set yourself a revenue goal or an intention or a desire if I investigate what's underneath that, it's always really that I am desiring security, mm-hmm. right? And so if you acknowledge something I've been playing with is like, if I acknowledge my desire is really security and you know, in particular, like knowing that my family is taken care of, how can I actually offer that up as the desire and then just trust that the universe is gonna bring that, right? Which is like, my kids are gonna get everything that they need and I will be, resourced enough that I can, as we were saying before, kind of give my family energy priority over the work. Um, Mm -hmm. But recognizing what the true desire is, because when it's just a number, Mm -hmm. you end up in this upset, you end up in this like, uh, like obsessive loop where it's never enough because, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. there is never enough external thing to create an internal sense of safety. Yeah. And also our internal sense of safety, sense of not being safe is a very real experience that that asks us to that asks for attention and we tend to tend to it by being like oh here have more bread have more have more money <laughs> yeah but there's something inside of us that's just still feeling deeply unsafe i'm sure you could put that in a context of colonialism for us i can already start to see the shape of that but mm-hmm. that's something i've been playing with lately that feels nourishing mm-hmm. yeah i think getting away from those numbers getting away from, and even, you know, as you have both done in this moment of like examining how, what you're giving your energy to and how can you begin to see it differently to honor your own energy, your own relationships, right? Your own rest, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. All of that uh, is so important. 
I think what I love about this reminder so much is that I'm reminded that, oh, wait, there's a trade-off, meaning mm -hmm. simplicity means I get energy back. And my um, energy is like very valuable to me because I have like chronic, okay. chronic fatigue. And so I have to be very discerning about mm -hmm. like, I only have this much energy and I want to, and, and I can have that if I can actually learn to simplify, like there's a, there's a gift there, which is also yeah. like, the, it's ironic. It's like, ultimately the, the very thing that I want, it's like the very thing that I want is actually on the other side of me letting, letting go. That's how it always seems to go. Yes. And that's the illusion, right? Like that's, these are the lies that I was like, <laughs> you know, the rug was pulled under me for me to discover that is like, we operate in this system for that carrot at the end of the stick here, you're going to have this security. But in the meantime, how much do we lose in that process? You know, how much do we lose of ourselves, of our health, right? Of our energy, our creativity, you know, the people that we love, like we lose so much in that process for this promise of security. And what I know is that is ultimately a lie. And especially in these times, like we don't know retirement is going to change, right? Like I don't, I have so many friends that are like, I need to save for retirement. I need to save for my child's college fund and like all these things. And it's like, when does it become enough? It's never enough under those systems. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that in the next, you know, when my child is older, the world is going to look drastically different. And so you're either going to be left behind and you're going to be dragged, or you're going to begin to live your life in a way that does prepare you for that new earth. That does even secure us a future, right? In, in terms of humanity, right? Like if we think about from an indigenous perspective for mother earth, like are we even going to have a viable planet the way that we're going? Right. Mm -hmm. And so these decisions we need to make now right, to secure that. Yeah. Would you mind if it's feels available talking about how this shows up in your life on like a practical level? And I think I asked that because so much of this podcast is like, we like to take the spiritual, but also learn how we can apply this in a down to earth, like, you know, every day to day kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's really helpful to have examples. Like this is, this is, you can walk, you know, you can live this way. <laughs> yes. Yes. And as in answering that question, I do want to say, you asked me earlier about the intersect, the intersections that I exist in. So I often say that I feel like I'm too decolonial for the spiritual world and too spiritual for the decolonial world. And the reason why I say that is because in the spiritual world, right. In, in the Western world, like you don't really have these conversations often about decolonization or oppressive systems it and if you do often folks think you're being divisive like why are you talking about that when we're all one mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. we're all humanity and you're causing division to speak to those things right mm -hmm. or like you're giving your power over to a system if you don't think you can manifest it right like all these <laughs> things right so i didn't i didn't fit there right especially coming from an anti-oppressive background. 
Um, and then in the decolonial world, we are missing the sacredness. We, we've forgotten the spiritual piece. And it's so interesting that that's happened because we are fighting against these oppressive systems, but especially like in social justice spaces, they don't see how they're replicating it. Mm-hmm. They don't see how they've completely been devoid of spirituality that is, that is indigenous to us, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they just stay in the pain, right? They don't see beyond that. They don't see the possibility beyond that. And so not, not getting to liberation, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm really at those intersections where I feel like we need both. We need to, yes, reclaim our sovereignty, reclaim our power, that we are spiritual beings, that yes, we, there are universal laws and you know we exist beyond space and time. All of these things are true. And it's also true that in this current time, there are oppressive systems at force and we cannot bypass that, right? And I believe, especially those of us that have been brought, you know, that were born in this time that said yes to this time, right? Before we came down to earth, I believe that it's part of our soul's mission to undo the old and birth the new. Mm-hmm. And so those that really resonate with, with, you know, this, this work, right? Like of being at those intersections, I believe that's our soul's purpose to, and that we need both to create the new. And so, so I just wanted to share all of that yeah. for folks that, that are wondering, like, what are the intersections to really um, speak to that? The, the thing that comes to my mind too is, is if we are these divine beings who can, you know, manifest our reality and there are these oppressive systems, like <laughs> we have the, we have, we have within us the answer, but we have to do the shadow work. We have to do yes. the unlearning. We have to, I mean, um, uh, I'll get this vision that shows up for me often when I'm in the records that just is so beautiful. And it's this collective with our hands in the earth, like healing the earth, right? Through our own energy. And that like what becomes possible is so much greater than we can even begin to understand. But this intersection where you stand is like the key to it all because that's the space. Like I almost have this image of like, you're <laughs> you're there and you're not alone, but there aren't quite enough of you there, but like you're, you're kind of calling us to you and that when as more and more of us come to this intersection like there's like that's really where the new earth is born yeah yeah one without the other I think is not complete one without the other is like there's still toxicity in Mm -hmm. each of those and the intersection is like uh, again I keep getting I might even when I speak to you I just get the sense of like ah it's this nourishing coming home it's all there it's a wholeness and I think yeah Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yes, because under colonization, we've been so fragmented. Yeah. Separated from our lineage, from our ancestors, from the land, even ourselves, right? Like, especially in the Western world, like we're so, you know, taught to be, to intellectualize things instead of embodiment, like we're so fragmented. And so, yes, living in this intersection is really getting to wholeness becoming complete and and then to move us in into the new earth yeah to be able to create that and, and bring that forth. yeah I mean I just have to say I'm I don't know if we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get to talk about this at the end but um I was part of your decolonial collective mm-hmm. that started this past summer and 
it was just such a powerful space. And I think that's what you do. So you just do that so, so well. And it's, I just knew that when I joined that, that collective, I wanted to have you on this podcast because, um, I don't know, other than fangirling, I don't really know what I want to say about that, but I know it's just like, it's such a, <laughs> a healing space that I think people need right now. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's my honor. <laughs> so going back to my previous question, mm-hmm. do you have examples of how this shows up in your everyday life? Yeah. So rest. So because I had a health collapse, I learned to prioritize my rest. Um, as a sensitive person, as an empath, all the, you know, all the things I, I didn't, I didn't rest or create and I had zero boundaries. <laughs> um, and all those things, in addition to being in a toxic environment in, in academia, you know, I myself was colonized in that I, I was in servitude. I was in servitude to the people around me. I didn't have any boundaries because I felt guilty for setting boundaries. My, you know, my, I was so, um, I was a workaholic, honestly. And I learned that from my parents because they were exploited from capitalism as quote unquote immigrants, you know? And so I learned that way of being and I learned that my worth was through work, right? Like to earn, to earn your place in the world, almost like you have to work, right? And, and you have to work to an extreme. And so for me, through that collapse, I really had to just do things radically different to honestly save my life. You know, I just couldn't even get out of bed. There were days I couldn't take care of myself. And I couldn't take care of my child. And I, I even remember like apologizing to my boss when I even had to take the medical leave. And I'm like, that just like, I just can't even believe it now, you know, but I was so colonized that I was apologizing to my boss for having to make a, to take a medical leave, even when I couldn't even get up out of bed. I was so much in pain that I couldn't get out of bed. And for two years, I worked in daily pain and that became normal for me. Like you just endure it, right? Uh, in, in my culture, Mexicanos, we call it like uh, aguantar, which means to endure. And that's viewed as a strength, like that you can endure difficult things, right? And this, I think especially um, women and women of color, femmes are taught this, right? Like the strong woman, right? Like that's a, that's a compliment and to be a wonder woman, right? Like super mom, these are all compliments, Mm -hmm. but what comes at a cost to that is, is you, right? You're tolerating pain. You're enduring pain. You're sacrificing yourself, right? And we've, we've normalized that and we view it as a strength, you know, and it's a compliment, you know, like, you even at, at people's funerals, like you hear that, like she took care of everyone else and she thought, you know, yeah. of everyone else before yeah. she thought of herself. Right. right. Yeah. And what I say, like, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't <laughs> want anyone to say that about me at my funeral. I don't, I want that to die for all women and femmes. Like that's not a compliment, you know? Yeah. That's just yeah. an us enduring and tolerating, you know, capitalism and patriarchy colonization what I learned to do was I need to rest yeah make room for my rest 
there is only so many things I can be. Yeah. I guess the big question that I feel like I hear a lot of people asking often is, can you rest? And also, and I guess this is kind of, kind of coming back to the loop we were, we were at earlier, but can't, it's like the belief that we can't rest and also be provided for, that we can't rest and also be um, safe. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Rest feels like deeply terrifying sometimes, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's so many levels to those questions that, that you all asked me. So please bring me back. <laughs> um, <laughs> if, if I didn't so much. Um, I know this is how our podcast <laughs> tends to go in, in general. <laughs> I'm, I'm trust with it. The, I think, yes. We yes. trust that the relevant story and yes. threads rise up. Mm-hmm, I so agree. And they're also important. That's why I'm like, I want to catch them. <laughs> um, but I, I want to say too, to your point of like, it's scary to rest. It was scary to me initially to have like all this space to just be focusing on my healing. Cause that's what I had to do. Like, I can't take care of anybody. I didn't answer the phone anymore. I had really strong boundaries. I, again, I was taking care of everybody, literally everybody in my life. I was that person. I had zero boundaries and then it just completely radically had to change. And that was a huge period of grief because who am I if I'm not the person that's there for others? Yeah. Like that was so much a part of my identity. Right. And also the working was so much a part of my identity. And so it does become scary when, when you start to create that space. Because it begins, what it does, it creates space for you to be with yourself, right? And and to begin to look at yourself beyond what you've been conditioned to do, right? Like so much, especially in the U.S. is like, what do you do? Like, that's the first question that that you ask people when you meet them, right? And so now you're, you're really having to sit with yourself, discover who you are, do the shadow work, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that is scary. And, and it, there's a lot of grief in that, you know, of, and that's part of the divesting from these systems of like not attaching your identity, your energy to these systems, even though, yes, we are still in them to not give your identity over your power, your energy. Right. And so, yes, there will be a period where it is scary. And, and again, that, that fear um, that you speak about of, of like, am I going to be safe? You know, if I, if I rest, am I going to be safe? There's a few layers to that. And, and yes, there is some privilege to be able to rest, right? Folks that are poor or working class, they don't have the privilege to be able to rest. Right. And, and this is why I think it's so important for us to, for all of us to divest from these systems to create space for more of us, right? Because right now rest is a luxury, right? Rest is for those that are middle class or or upper class, right? And it's not for those that are working class or poor. And so we need to do our, our, we need to be uncomfortable, right? We need to be uncomfortable and we need to live with less so that we can create space for for the, the most vulnerable, you know? Um, and why we continue to be in those systems is that fear, 
that's an illusion that that tell I I want to be secure, right? And and if we again, if we just examine it, we don't really need that much, you know. Mm-hmm. And can we can we live? You know, we're 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 like trained to live fifty years from now, twenty years from now. Do I have enough for this? And to get back to our sacred ways, to get back to indigenous ways, right? Can we live day by day, right? And yes, to have what we need, of course, but to not always, like we give so much of our energy to to the future out of fear Mm -hmm. of not having enough. And that's intentional because when we have that fear, it makes us more vulnerable to be exploited. Yes, 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 yes. I think I love what you said about how it is scary at first, because I think it's helpful for people to hear like that that's also okay. Like it's a little bit scary, but it doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong to maybe normalize that a little bit as just like, that's, um, that it's, it's okay for it to be scary mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're not, that you're not doing it, that that you're not doing it wrong, but holding yourself actually. Like when we do get scared, then we just come back to what we know, which is what the soul conversation is about is we can hold ourselves through that fear. Yes, yeah. yes. And and when, and yeah, so just allowing it, right? Like we're, we're even afraid of emotion, right? Like we do everything possible in our society to avoid the difficult feelings, right? Like you overwork, you like everything, right? Like, let me just watch TV and you like, yeah you know, we, we just avoid it. And there's medicine in feeling the uncomfort and that's part of spirituality. And that's part of healing. like, it's not always like the, the picture perfect things that you see on social media, mm-hmm. healing and spirituality is also the darkness. I would not be here if I hadn't faced all of that. If I didn't like cry and cry and cry, if I didn't feel like you know, if I didn't allow myself to feel that way, mm-hmm. yes, that was my spiritual awakening, but there were really dark days in that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the process. too. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. Medicine isn't feeling the uncomfortable is what I wrote down though. That is true. Yeah. And, and letting it be, it's actually in a client session this morning, we were talking about this idea that like grief is so uncomfortable and so we assume that we're doing something wrong when grief shows up uh as opposed to recognizing that there is actually there's actually a gift in there i mean there's this whole we go down a whole nother rabbit hole (laughs) around how grief is love and it's the same thing but it's just to say like uncomfortable experiences we tend to think we're doing something wrong right if i'm feeling discomfort i must be doing something wrong as opposed to like it's it's a human experience to feel uneasy at times or um, nervous or grief or whatever and the invitation is to lean into it to see what the gift is in that discomfort and kind of looking glass style maybe you fall out the other side yes and and these emotions that come up right like on an energetic level if we don't feel them they become stagnant energy right and 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 then even from just a health perspective the more that you bury those feelings, the sicker that you'll get, right? Yeah. And also those emotions, some of it is ours, but a lot of it is not ours. A lot of it is ancestral, yeah. right? The emotions your parents didn't feel, your grandparents didn't feel, the violence that was done to your peoples, 
that's all that you're carrying, right? Yeah. And so, yes, it will be messy and scary initially when you begin to allow space for that. That's, yeah. that's the shedding. That's yeah. Happening. Yeah. It's just so funny to see how it's all connected. And it's because I can also see that this idea of like not wanting to feel discomfort because we think we're doing it wrong is tied to this capitalistic picture of what we see in the movies and the commercials of like, oh, it's, we're aiming all for picture perfect. And we have to keep going towards that. And so, and if we're not going towards that, it's like, if we keep going towards that, we're never going to feel the necessary discomfort Mm -hmm. of what will lead to true liberation. And so it's just this cycle. It's kind Mm -hmm. of mind blowing. And, and the other thing that's coming to my mind as you're talking, Eva, is like in the rest we all sorts of things rise up, some of which is uncomfortable and needs to move through us, but some of it is like, oh, I thought that I was desiring Mm -hmm. a seven figure, Mm -hmm. you know, five days or whatever absurd (laughs) thing Mm -hmm. it is. But like, actually what I'm desiring is a vacation with my family or like, you know, whatever the thing or or is security over. Anyway, um, like I was just talking to someone the other day and they were saying, I've had this vision for years that I thought that I wanted to like run a retreat center. And once I started resting and like tending to some of this healing, what I saw is actually, I want like a big piece of land and a little home and a lot of animals around, you know? And, and, and she was like, it was somebody else's desire that I thought I needed to race toward. Mm-hmm. My own desire is actually, and also that that lived to your point, Dr. Rocia, like 15 years in the future, but actually my desire is much closer and more attainable yes but I had to slow down and go inward to like give it space to rise out of me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Rest, rest is a portal to your spirituality. Ooh. Rest, rest is a portal to your creativity, right? Like there's so many things that, that we don't, that we lo- lost access to through this programming, through this indoctrination. And so, yeah. yes, there's so many gifts that, that come through. through the- oh, this is so beautiful. You're just, <laughs> everything that you're sharing, again, is medicine. Just, uh, I just feel coded <laughs> in like truth. <laughs> I also got this really big like message earlier at the end of last week that was like this week that we're now in, we're recording this on a Monday and was the message was like, do the bare minimum next week. Like, so this week I was like, very got this very clear message that was like, anything that can move off of your schedule next week, move it off next week, which is very uncomfortable for me because I'm also very like, work is my safe place, quote unquote yeah. safe place, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, I, I'm, I listen. And um, so this just feels like a beautiful affirmation and kickoff for this week in which I've like stripped mm-hmm. all again, very uncomfortably stripped all these things yes. out and have all this blank space in my calendar. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for bringing that forth because to answer your question, Eva, of like, how can you do that in tangible ways? It looks like that. It looks like, you know, for me, I, there was a time last year, a lot of times where I would stay up late at night to get more work done. Even while I was still doing this work, I had a moment where I did that. And this year I'm just like, I cannot do that. And I'm not and so if that means that some deadlines are pushed like that's okay if that means that I respond I I take longer to respond to emails that's okay like I'm going to choose myself and and I know that when I do that I'm going to be happier I'm going to have more energy I'm going to have more time and energy for my child and my husband for my mom for my abuelita like those are the ways that you start like 
and like good enough, right? That good enough is good, good, right? That even, and this is what I tell the collective, like shoot for mediocre, you know, like (laughs) give so much energy to perfectionism and like we never reach it and we drain so much of our energy. Yeah. So like even mediocre and it's probably better, right? We're doing so yeah. much more, mm-hmm. but I think even just to like consciously lowering the standard makes more room for us. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> okay. So, this is such medicine. Yeah. This is, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to be mindful of time and um, I want to have you share all the ways in which people can find your work and how we can connect with you. But before we do that, we usually end each episode with a round where we all share something that's bringing us joy um, Mm. in our current lives in this now moment. Um, So I guess I'll throw that question to you. What's something that's bringing you joy right now? Yeah, what always brings me joy is dancing with my I just I cannot be upset or tired like I just dance and like they love it and it's just always brings me back to just that energy I think yeah mm. I love that Kylie what about That's you what's good one. bringing you joy right now mm. uh, dancing with kiddos is a is a good answer um, I will say um, I am visiting my parents my parents live in um, like a somewhat rural Maine and which is like four hours from where I live and I packed my kids up. My husband got a nice chance to stay at home in the quiet, which is a gift we could give him. And um, yeah, we drove up here and there's the, my parents, my brother and my sister-in-law live up the street and my cousin lives with my parents. And so there's all of these adults to, to help me parent. And it's been so like, just delightful to see how you know, to see my son curled up in my brother's lap or to see my daughter reading a book with my cousin, like in this year of COVID in which it's been so infrequent to see other people, it's so nourishing just to watch my children loved by other people. Um, And so that is really, is really a gift. To have that community. Mm, Yeah. 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 And we had a epic pokey pokey dance the other day <laughs> you mean like as a group son. yeah like I like I my mom put it on and so my mom and my dad and my son and then the dog and I were all like doing the hokey and I think my son has never heard the hokey pokey before or something because he like lost his mind with excitement yeah, it was I don't really think great I've done that with my child I'm gonna do that after this. it's a really good one and I was putting him to bed and I whispered like dancing the hokey pokey was my favorite part of the day and he was like me too (laughs) oh that's so sweet I think he made us do it like three times that is so sweet (laughs) yeah yeah how about you Eva what is bringing you joy so my joy for this week is actually I don't know if you guys can see but there's um a monstera plant in the back there's a I just um cut those yesterday to propagate and off of my other monstera plant and I propagation of plants is one of those things that every time I actually stop and think about what's happening, my mind is blown. It's like, I can't wrap my mind around how I can just cut off a piece of a living plant and put it in water and then it'll regenerate itself. And then I can plant that and give that away as a gift. And it's just like this cycle that is never ending and constantly giving and also free because like of the earth, you Mm. buy one plant and you just get to keep I don't know, plants, uh, I just love my plants, but something particular about, because I didn't know how to propagate that plant. I had to YouTube it 
And that's also a joy when you get to watch other people play with plants on YouTube. So <laughs> that was my, like my joy from last night. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, okay. Dr. Rocio, is there anything else um, maybe we didn't ask that, that maybe we should have asked? <laughs> well, you just sharing about the plants, it makes me think of sacred reciprocity. Like that's an example of how much is available to us and it can be so simple mm -hmm. and like re reclaiming the new earth birthing the new earth is really getting back to these simple sacred ways i think both of your examples of like being with your family like all of your family you know being with the earth and the plants like th that is the new earth right not your to-do list not all the steps you need to do for your business that ultimately just keeps you in the cycle and keeps you busy and draining your energy, right? It's mm -hmm. really, you know, quieting, resting, and getting back to the basics, really, of what's important. Yeah. Mm. I actually really want to ask you this question about the new earth, because I know it's something that you talk about um, sometimes. Do you feel like the new earth is also really just a coming back to the wise traditional old ways? Because the examples that we just shared are also just mm -hmm. to me, rem reminders of like how things used to be, or have always been, but, you know, coming back to a more simple thing, yeah. which is where so much of our joy usually lives anyway. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, um, so yes, I shared that the new age, the new earth is not new age. It's actually rooted in indigenous wisdom. It is bringing back those times of harmony and balance where we were in harmony with each other as humans and where we were in harmony with the earth, which is so beautiful that both of your examples point to that. So yes, it's about returning to those sacred ways and also the alchemy, right? Because we can completely return to those times, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the sacred ways along with what, what have we learned along the way through, through this journey of human. Yeah. Ooh, okay. So where can people find you and how can people work with you? So folks can, um, Instagram is where I spend most of my time at Mesa. I also have a website, um, com. I have my offerings there. Um, the Decolonial Healing Collective, which you mentioned, is um, my virtual community where where really I do a lot of my work because as you, as we've, you know, um, sort of done here, like there's so many nuances and layers and it's like ongoing conversations, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I resist doing teachings and I'm having less resistance because I trust, <laughs> I trust that people will get what they need. But, um, I just feel like so much is, is an evolution and is ongoing. And so that space really allows for that. I do my teachings there, energy healings there, channeling, um, really building community with other people that, that see the world in this way. Um, yeah. I, I just want to interject and say, as, as someone who was part of that collective, if, if you love this conversation, then you're going to love the collective because it's like that, but it, even more intimate. And I think what's so valuable is being able to connect with other women yes. and femmes of color and seeing their shares and their journey and people opening up and being vulnerable and sharing their pain. It's, uh, it, again, medicine is, I think yes. the space that you have cultivated and I really um, highly recommend it. 
Thank you. Yes. And, and it is about that community, like realizing, first of all, that there's other people that believe in these things and want to bring that world forth. Right. Yeah. And also holding space for each other for when it gets hard. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That, that's where I spend a lot of my time as well. Um, and then I actually have a, um, the New Earth Masterclass and Sacred Circle, where we dive deeper into doing this work. Uh, it's, I am doing it with, I'm collaborating with Marilu Shin, Mujer Medicine on Instagram. And so for folks that really like, like, how do I do this in tangible ways? Like, how do I reconnect to my ancestors? How do I connect to spirituality without culturally appropriating? How do I divest from oppressive systems? What does the new earth mean and how can I embody that? That is, um, feels like such a sacred offering that we were called um, to bring forth. Mm-hmm. So that's another way that folks can learn with me. It sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To help yeah. with the actual integration of it, yes. right? Which is like, yeah. I think, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Mm. Thank you. This was a real gift. Thank you. It, it was a gift for me too. I'm grateful for both of you 